All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to get to John 21, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. If you are our guest, I want to say thanks for being with us. If you're joining us online, thanks for being with us. If we've not met before, uh, my name's Kate. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. John, chapter 21. We will wrap up our series in the Gospel of John, and I will encourage you in the same way as I encourage the 930 service. As a church, uh, we handed out these uh, reading guides through the Gospel of John. Some of you participated in that. Some of you tried, maybe fell off the wagon. Some of you were like, I'm not doing that. But here, let me encourage you in this way. You can grab one of those reading plans, and you can take the dates and scratch all of them out. And then you can go read through the Gospel of John. Uh, Because whether you check the box or not, the Word of God is still living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, And it's a lamp and a light to our feet. And so whether you make the date or not, my encouragement to you is read the Gospel of John and see how God meets you uh, as you do so. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's a hardback black one in the chair beside you underneath, uh, underneath you or in front of you. In October of 2017, I found myself at game two of the American League Championship Series between the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees. Um... And so the, the game worked down to the ninth inning. It was tied. Obviously, as the home team, the Astros have the last at bat. It's Carlos Correa at the plate, Jose Altuve on first base. The pitch is thrown. The ball is hit. It's a single into the outfield. Jose Altuve runs, rounds second, rounds third. Homeboy's about to try to score from first at this point in the game. And he is coming home, and as far as I'm concerned, he's hosed. The ball makes it to the plate. The catcher cannot handle it. Jose Altuve slides. He is safe. We score. The Astros win. The place goes ballistic. I filmed this on my phone, and the the phone is really steady. Like, pitch is thrown. Ball is hit. And I'm following Jose Altuve. Round second. Round first. Gets home. And then all of a sudden, the phone just does this. (laughs) Because we began to celebrate. Our team has won. We have done it. It is over. It is finished. And then we went home and lived our normal lives. And nobody, a week later, two weeks later, a day later, was like, you know, the way that you really love your wife today, it seems like you were at the game too. It seems like that was kind of a transformative moment for you. Because that celebration didn't lead to alteration. However, fast forward four months from that day in October, and I go from being a dad of zero to a dad of two. And some of you have heard that story. And that celebration that leads to alteration. Our very lives were different as a result of it. Now why do I tell you that? Because my concern is for some of us, the resurrection of Jesus is more like the first story and not like the second. It's something that we love to celebrate, but it has no transformative effect on our life. But the reality is, is it should be something we celebrate. We gather every Sunday, in fact, not just on Easter, but every Sunday to declare Jesus is alive. And that should have a transformative effect on every part of our life. If Jesus is alive, it must affect the way that we live. And I think we'll see that today as we look at John chapter 21. So if you're able, I would invite you to stand. John chapter 21, beginning in verse One, we're going to read the whole chapter, so buckle up, people. John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. At the end of our main text reading, we say this phrase, the very words, just as it means to separate God's perfect words from mine that are not. John 21, verse 1. This is what the Word of God says. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. 
Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught, just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against, the, against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw, saw him, he said to, to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are, also, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose, that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You can have a seat. <laughs> the main idea for our time together is this. Jesus is alive. This must change the way we live. One more time. Jesus is alive. This must change the way we live. We'll ask and answer this question in light of John 21. How should we live now that Jesus is resurrected? If Jesus is alive, what does that mean for us? At least we see in part here in John 21 what that means through the model of the disciples. The first thing is this. If Jesus is alive, we should find ourselves in obedience to him. If Jesus is alive, we should find ourselves in obedience to him. Look at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. 
And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, Cana, and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Where are they? They're in the Galilee. The question that a commentator observes, why is it that they are in the Galilee? Because that's where they were told to go. When, when the people went to the tomb and found the angel, they interact in Mark chapter six, or 16, verse 6 and 7. This is what the angel says, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And where do the disciples find themselves here in John 21? In obedience to that instruction. Because if Jesus is alive, we ought to do what he says. We ought to obey his commands as the disciples find themselves doing here. Now, for some of you, you're like, man, I knew it. You Christians, I spent time with you long enough, and you're going to get about these rules that we have to follow, and we got to check these boxes and do these things so that God will love us. Do we care about obedience as followers of Jesus? Yes, but probably for a very different reason than you think. You see, the misunderstanding is, is that Christians must obey so that God will express love to them. If you obey, if you follow the rules, then God, if you're good enough, will love you. But the gospel tells us the contrary, that despite our obedience, God moves toward us in love. And as a result of that, our response, the overflow of that with gratitude is, I want to do what you say. I have a friend who says it like this, God is not interested in our begrudging obedience. Rather, he's interested in transforming us into the kind of people whose natural response is to obey. Maybe said more simply, God wants us to obey out of delight and not out of duty. God wants us to be the kinds of people that say, your ways are best and I want to follow them because of how you've loved me, God. My response to you is love and that looks like obedience. Jesus says this in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You want to express love to me? It looks like obedience. We're not, we're not obeying to get love. We're obeying because we've already been loved. So we find ourselves, if Jesus is alive, in obedience to his ways and trusting ourselves to him, saying, your ways are best. You're the risen king. I am following you. So much like here, as the disciples find themselves in obedience, we too ought to find ourselves in obedience. If Jesus is alive, we ought to find ourselves in obedience to him. The second thing, if Jesus is alive, we ought to find ourselves believing that he really is the Christ. If Jesus is alive, we ought to find ourselves believing that he really is the Christ. Look at verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no, which is a nightmare for a fisherman. It's like if you do this for a living and some shadowy figure like rolls in and you know you got goose egg on the boat today and the guy's like, hey, did you catch anything? You're like, I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to tell you what's going on in this boat. And yet that's exactly what happens. Some shadowy figure from the shore is like, hey, children, did you guys catch anything? No. We don't need to talk any more about it than that. And then he gives us this instruction in verse 6. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. 
So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, which is understood to be John, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. You see, what happens is that in the very mundane, it gets revealed that that's the Messiah. He is the Christ. I have to get to him. And if Jesus is risen from the dead, we have to find ourselves believing he really is the Christ. He reveals himself to his disciples in this way, casts the net on the other side of the boat, and they haul this fish, and they're like, this is too much. And it harkens back to a moment in Luke 5 when he calls the disciples. He's like, push the boat out. You guys haven't caught anything? Throw it right here. They throw it in. They haul it in. He's like, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Certainly, it's going off in their mind. This is the Christ. Because if Jesus has risen from the dead, we ought to find ourselves believing that he really is the Christ. That's exactly the goal of the book of John, by the way. Jump up to John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, all that is contained in the gospel of John. These are written for this purpose, so that you may believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's the goal of everything we have here, including John 21. What's the goal? That we would believe that Jesus really is the Christ. He's the one sent from God. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one who has come to give us life with the Father. If he's risen from the dead, we ought to find ourselves believing he really is the Christ. Now, maybe for some of us, you're like, yeah, but how do we really know? Like, how do we know that he's the Christ? Two quick reasons. The first is this, because he rose from the dead and people saw it. They witnessed it. John says that here in verse 14, John 21, 14. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Not one time, not two times, three times. Because that's what you need if you're a first century disciple and your master rolls out, gets crucified by Romans, and you're like, hold on. He came to us once and you're like, maybe I just like had some bad bread or I didn't sleep good last night. Like, I think I saw Jesus, but I'm not super sure. He comes to us a second time, like, did you just, I'm pretty sure, is that? And now the third time, you're like, yo, he is alive. To confirm in them, he really is the Christ. He really is the Christ, and we've seen him alive. John says it again later in 21, verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. I am telling you, I've seen them with my eyes. And who has, written these things about, who has written about these things, and we know that this testimony is true. It's valid. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I'm not making it up. It's not a fairy tale. I walked with a guy, saw him die, and have seen him resurrected. He is the Christ. Paul does this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in 3 to 8, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared post-resurrection to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The question, it begs the question, what's with all the appearances, Jesus? So that you would be sure. The Christ is alive, and I'm him. He's the Christ. How do we know? Because he rose from the dead, and people saw him, and they bore witness about it. Second, how do we know that Jesus is the Christ? Because of the spread of the church. 
What happens later is, is Paul in the, excuse me, Peter in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, gives a sermon and in verse 32 says these words, this Jesus God raised up and that we are all witnesses. Of that, we are all witnesses. He bears witness to the resurrected Jesus and what happens? 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. And the ripple effects of the resurrected Jesus start to go out. And I've heard a pastor say it like this. Here's how you can be confident that Jesus is alive because we're sitting here today. How is it that the impact of an ancient Near Eastern rabbi is having ripple effects in 2023 League City, Texas? It's because he's alive. And he's the Christ. So we ought to find ourselves believing that he really is the Christ. What does that mean for us then? What does that mean? Well, John gives us that filter in John 20, verse 31. Look back at it with me, John 20, 31. But these are written so that you would believe. The first thing, if Jesus is the Christ, here's what we should find ourselves doing. We should find ourselves believing. But we have, we have watered down the word believe in our day. We believe a lot of things. We mentally ascribe to a lot of things. We'll check a box. We can get an answer on a question We can get the answer on a test correct. Oh, yes, I'll believe these things. But you've heard Pastor Brian say it like this, that the the belief that the scriptures are after are believing with your feet. That it's a lot like this. I've told our students this before, that my wife and I went on our honeymoon to the Dominican Republic, and one of the things that we did there was zip lining. If you're unsure of what zip lining is, it's you hook yourself up to this line and you zip down it. It's very self-explanatory. It's zip lining. Uh, And so you put on this really comfortable harness, which it's not, and uh, then you hook up to this like carabiner type thing and you zip down this line, right? So they, they give you all the instructions and they harness you up and get you ready to go, put your helmet on. And can you just imagine the scenario? I'm harnessed up, helmet on, ready to go. And this guy's like, you ready? I'm like, yeah, bro, my new wife's here. I'm about to show her what's up, you know? And he's like, okay, hook up and step off the platform, zip down the line. I'm like, no thanks, I'm good. He's like, I'm sorry? What? He's like, well, do you believe that this is going to hold you? Yeah, totally, man. Like, you gave us good instructions. I believe that you're a good guy, that these are made well. Like, it's totally fine. He's like, okay, hook up, zip down the line. I'm good, man. Thank you. He would be confused. Why? Because he would assume that my belief is expressed in my stepping off the platform. So, too, with our belief in Jesus as the Christ. It is not something we mentally ascribe to. It's something we bet our whole life on. And so to us. For some of you, you've been around church for a long time. You could get the answers right. You've ascribed that Jesus is the Christ. He's the one who's died for our sins. But you've never bet your life on it. And my friend, that's the belief that the Bible is calling us to. And so I would just implore you today, believe on Jesus. He is the Christ, the one risen from the dead. Turn to him. But it doesn't stop there. If he is the Christ, then what? We ought to believe. It goes on in verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may find life in his name. That we believe and we find life in his name. That through belief in Jesus, we would find you are the true source of life. You're all that I've been looking for. My soul is satisfied in you and you alone. What kind of life? Jesus, the kind of life that Jesus describes in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. 
That contrary to the lie that you have bought about Christianity robbing you of life, Jesus is actually offering you the fullest life possible. He's putting it on the table and saying to you, you think I'm coming to take it from you, but I'm coming to give it to you as fully as I can. And so we find life in his name. Like he says in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But here's the truth of the matter. We are a people who find life in all kinds of other false places. We run in all kinds of other directions to find life. To our jobs, to our achievements, to our kids, to our successes, to our finances, to you fill in the blank. We run to those places. Maybe that will be the thing that I get life from. But if you've lived any kind of life and run to those places at all, you found yourself trying to drink from that well and finding that it's dry. That it can't give you the life that it promises. It overpromises and underdelivers every single time. My friends, Jesus has the life that you need and want. And until you find yourself drinking from the well that is Christ, you will find yourself thirsty over and over again. You will say along with Augustine in his confessions, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You will search and search and search and search and search, and all the while you've been made for one place. And you won't rest until you rest in him. You won't find life until you look to him. He is the Christ the Son of God. And if he's risen from the dead, we ought to find ourselves believing that reality, that he really is the Christ. The third thing is this, that if Jesus is risen from the dead, we ought to find ourselves following him. Look at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying, this, he said to him, follow me. If Jesus is really risen from the dead, we ought to follow him, and we ought to do so in two ways. The first, we ought to follow him on mission. Here we see Jesus recommission Peter, as commentators say. He recommissions him. How does he recommission him? In the same way he commissioned him the first time, they gather on the beach in Galilee. He says, come, come with me, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so again, in a very similar way, certainly like deja vu for Peter, he's coming to him, restores him on the beach and says, follow me on this mission. If, you want, if Jesus is really risen from the dead, we ought to find ourselves following him on this mission. This mission for us is given to us in Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. 
Behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He's given us this command to say, if I've risen from the dead, you have to find yourself following me on this mission. And perhaps for some of you, you're like, that's great. I think that people should follow him on that mission, but I think that's for those people and not this person. Because honestly, Cade, I've got a lot of baggage. And I've gone to a lot of places that I think Jesus would just be ashamed of. And I've done some things. I've said some things. I've been some, some things. That honestly, I just don't think that Jesus is about. And if that's you today, let me just encourage you with a person of Peter. Who Jesus walks up to onto the beach and asks him three questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Now, if you're aware of the scriptures, you know why, but maybe if you're not, let me just give you insight. Why does he ask him three times? Why, Peter, are you asked three times, do you love me? Because previously, three times, Peter rejected Jesus. He denied him three times. This Peter who denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, this Peter who previously in the Gospels, Jesus calls Satan. I don't know how your day has gone. But Jesus probably hasn't called you Satan today. And yet that's what Peter's got. And yet this is the Peter who Jesus looks in the face and says, tend my sheep, take care of my flock, follow me on this mission, Peter. And here's what I want you to notice about how incredible Jesus is. I was talking to a friend about this and he brought this to my attention. Look at verse 9 in John chapter 21. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. It's a fast detail that you and I read over and we're like, that's great, neat, neat fire. But think about the last time Peter smelled a fire like that or felt a fire like that. The last time Peter warmed himself around a charcoal fire, he was denying Jesus. So how cool is it? Jesus kindles a charcoal fire, and Peter's walking up, smelling the smell of his rejection of Jesus that will quickly become the smell of his restoration to Jesus. So for those of you who are here thinking, I have blown it, my baggage is heavy, I've gone way too far for Jesus to use me. Those are for those kind of people, but it's not for me, my friend. Jesus invites you to the beach, kindles a fire, and says, what used to be the smell of your rejection of me can now be the smell of your restoration to me. Follow me. Follow me. Follow me on this mission. But it's not just following on the mission. It's following into suffering. Look at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then he gives us an understanding of this in verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. He says to Peter, I'm going to tell you some stuff about this thing. And here's why I'm telling you this, Peter, because I'm letting you know that you want to roll with me. It's going to cost you your life. So if Jesus is really risen from the dead, we follow him on this mission but we follow him into suffering. It will, cost Jesus, it will cost Peter his life. It will cost the disciples their lives. And my friends, it will cost us in a variety of ways. 
Paul agrees with this. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 11, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that he may meet that that by any means possible I may retain the resurrection from the dead, that to follow Jesus is to follow him into suffering. Paul echoes this to Timothy. I mean, the final letter. If you're receiving a letter from your spiritual father in the faith and you're Timothy, you're like, man, Paul's about to encourage me. This is gonna be so good. He's gonna be like, you're my boy. You can preach. It's unbelievable. Like, plant the church. It's gonna be a mega church probably in a decade, dude. You're gonna be so great. Like, just put some people around you. You're gonna do a great job. Here's the instruction that Paul has for his boy Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay, thanks for the encouragement, Paul. Why would he tell him that? Because that's the reality of what it means to follow Jesus. You want to follow Jesus on this mission that you follow him into suffering. For him, that looked a particular way, and for us, it will look a particular way. It will largely look social in our day, but if you want to follow Jesus as the resurrected king, you follow him on this mission and you follow him into suffering. It will come at a cost to you. Now, perhaps you're saying like, hey, dude, I don't, this is why they don't let you preach here very often. This is a horrible marketing pitch for this. This is just bad. Like, how, why would anybody get on this train? Because they understand that what it costs is overshadowed by what we gain. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, 24 and 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Why? For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man gain, give in return for his soul? Jesus expresses, hey, you want to come with me? You got to put a cross on your back and lose your life. But when you do so, you will gain the fullness of life that's found in me. So my friends, will it cost us to follow Jesus? You bet. But will you pick up fullness of life in doing so? You bet. So follow him on this mission and willingly into suffering, knowing that what it costs will be well overshadowed by what you gain in him. Such that Paul says in Romans chapter eight, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Hey, this suffering, it's real suffering. I'm not here to, I'm not here to minimize your suffering. I am here to give you hope in your suffering and to say one day you will have a glory revealed to you that you will look back at that and say, that's nothing in compared to what is in front of me. So we long for that day amidst our suffering with hope that there will be a day that will be in the rear view and what is in front of me will far overshadow what's behind me. And so we follow Jesus on this mission into suffering. If Jesus is alive, we ought to follow him. If Jesus is alive, it ought to change the way that we live. We have to find ourselves obeying him, believing he really is the Christ. 
following him along the way. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just take a moment to think about all that God has said through the scriptures today. And I want you to just think about a way of response. If you're here and a follower of Jesus, I want you to think, if Jesus is really alive, is that celebration leading to alteration in my life? What does that look like? It looks like John 20, verse 31, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How is your belief transforming your life? Where are you going to find life? If you're not a follower of Jesus, again, I would just encourage you today. Don't mentally ascribe to something and say you believe it. Put your life on it. life is there look to him draw life from him follow him and if that's you today there are going to be some pastors and prayer partners up here we would love to have no other conversation with you than what it means to follow Jesus and you can just come and say look I, I've been around church but I, I want to go all in on this thing and maybe you're here and you've got a variety of other things on your mind we would love to pray with you and just lift your arms and remind you the risen Jesus is enough amidst what you're facing. So I'm going to pray, and you can respond however God leads you to do so. Father, we are grateful just for a few moments to open the scriptures. We're grateful that you speak to us. How incredible is that? So, God, we want to listen. Thank you that Jesus is alive. Help us to respond accordingly. We love you, God. We say that in Jesus' name.